welcome to the SoCon Report podcast, the Social Conservative Report podcast. My name is Joseph Cohn. I'm the Director of Public Policy at Family Policy Alliance, and I will be your host this morning. A few weeks ago, we came to you with a broadcast where we previewed what we called off-year elections. These are elections done on even-numbered years, like 2023, 2021, etc. Only a few states do this, mostly the Commonwealth jurisdictions like Kentucky and Virginia. And we previewed specifically the Virginia election for you a few weeks ago that was held in the first week of November. We're coming to you again today with a re- with a recap of that election, just exactly what what the implications of that election hold for social conservatives and the values they care about specifically. And we want you to know how basically what the status quo holds now and what this looks like going forward, especially going into a critical, huge national election next year for the president of the United States. So we're going to recap that for you. And we have a wonderful guest on with us again, who's uh, 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 joined us today and shared her time with us. We're welcoming back to the SoCon Report podcast, Victoria Cobb, the president of the Virginia Family Foundation, which is the State Family Policy Council of Virginia. And uh, Victoria, so good to see you again and and chat with you here. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, boy, it's great to have you. So thanks for thanks for joining us. Thanks for your expertise and and all your work around this and all all social conservative issues for, for Virginians and for those who follow Virginia, because it's one of the leaders in our country. So I want to get right into this, Victoria. A lot of our listeners will have followed these this off-year election in, in Virginia and other states. And um, there's a lot of noise. The media is chattering on about a lot of different things, a lot of wishful thinking and things people on both sides want to be true. But you're an expert. You guys work on this and work very hard at it. So we want to know your take. I want you to tell us just generally what happened, uh, what should social conservatives know about the state of play in Virginia post this election? Yeah, sure. Well, certainly the outcomes weren't what we were hoping. Um, We chatted about this on this podcast just before, really just right before the election occurred about how tightly divided Virginia is. And our election just sort of put an exclamation point on that. We knew it was going to be tough. We knew we had redrawn districts that did favor liberals. Um, That was just the reality of how the maps had been drawn. And this is the first election since those maps for our House and our Senate. So it was an uphill battle. Um, But we are uh, disappointed in the overall outcome. We worked very, very hard to try to elect conservatives, to try to encourage social conservatives to care enough to come out in great numbers. And the outcome wasn't what we wanted. So where we are now is that both our state Senate and our House of Delegates will be controlled by the Democrat Party. They will be um, liberals, very liberal people that will be controlling committees that will be um, unfortunately in charge of whether bills move forward and so forth. And that's going to be a challenge for the things that we all care about. It's interesting. We were able to pick up a seat in the Senate from the conservative side. So we went in a 40 seat Senate. We went actually from um, 22 Democrats to 18 Republicans, we moved to 2119. So it's interesting, we actually moved in the right direction, just not far enough. And um, the House, unfortunately, lost a seat or two. And that really made all the difference in the world as far as control of the House goes. And so we're looking at a different situation this year, where instead of having one chamber that was at least at our back and a governor that was conservative, we now have both chambers opposite where we're trying to go. So that's going to that's gonna be uphill sledding. Thank you for that. That's um, that is sobering, and it's good for our audience to know, though. You know, ignorance is not bliss, and we should not be unaware of the realities of this of the situation that we face from our state capital. So, we appreciate that. Um, we're glad that we at least do have a governor that's still on our side. So that's good. 
But I do want to get your take on just exactly how how radical are these Democrat majorities? You know, there's a there's a wide range of thought on the Democratic side of the aisle right now in terms of radicalness. And tell us just how radical these majorities will be. And maybe you could also tell us specifically what policies to expect from them, policy proposals to expect from them in regards to parental rights and unborn life. Yeah. So, um, you know, we used to have a day where a lot of our issues passed our legislature with bipartisan um, commitment. Both parties could support things like parental rights and um, abortion uh, limitations. And now it seems that the parties have divided and we really are going to have very liberal individuals in the Democrat Party that will be in control of this chamber. And um, we got to get a preview of what the who will head up committees. So committee chairman of finance and uh, education and health committees where these bills will go. And um, it felt like when you saw the list of who's even going to be sort of leading those committees, it felt like, wow, we really have um, a list of the terribles, um, people that really oppose everything we believe. That's going to be incredibly hard for us. Um, we also are getting a preview of the bills that are coming up. And um, there are just times where those of us that have these strong principles that God has given parents the ultimate authority over their children and that we have to be in the driver's seat. And those of us that believe that life is sacred from conception, there are moments where we do have to take a bit of a defensive posture. And so we're going to be doing that this session. And um, some of the proposals that we've already gotten to see, we've gotten a preview. There are still many bills to be filed. So we're, you know, here in early December, uh, well, end of November, early December. Um, and we're, our session starts just for people who are around the country wondering when does all this kind of go down? Our session starts a little bit after January begins. So January 10th or so is the beginning of, in Virginia, we have 45 day and 60 day sessions. So it's not a very long period of time. So we're starting to see all the bills. We don't have them all yet. Um, but the proposals we're seeing are concerning. Um, most concerning um, are, you know, we're expecting, haven't yet seen it, a direct bill to harm the parental rights component of our abortion law. We still do actually have parental consent for abortion here in Virginia. So we are holding our breath. We haven't seen that yet, but we're concerned. Um, the other thing we expect to see that we haven't seen yet is some kind of codification of the deception of, of the schools can engage in with parents around transgender issues. Uh, there's a real effort to put the student in charge of how they want to handle themselves within a school building and to keep the parent in the dark. Um, we expect to see legislation that would um, really put that into our code. Right now, we have these model guidelines that are given from our Department of Education that all the local school boards need to adopt. And I think they're going to want to sort of cut that off at the pass and say, this is what it has to be. We would expect Governor Yunkin, who's been very strong in this issue, to veto something like that, even if it were to make it through the House and the Senate. But those are the kind of things we expect. The things we're seeing already um, are several constitutional amendments. So these are changes to the Virginia Constitution. So sort of a stature higher than even just sort of a, a change in our law. Um, these amendments are very concerning. There are three of them that have been put in. One pertains to restoring all felon rights, no matter what. Um, sort of not a process, an individualized look at each person as they go through their restoration process, but sort of an automatic um, restoration of rights. That's a concern for some. This is not one of our top issues, but I just mention it um, because that's controversial. But the other 
the other ones um, are are sort of more directly in line. In particular, I would mention the abortion one. So they are, in fact, and we knew this was coming, and I wish the electorate had understood this was coming, because I don't think they really, I think the, the Democrats presented a, a position of we're going to keep abortion status quo. But what actually they're trying to do is put into the Code of Virginia sort of an unfettered right to abortion. We've seen this happen in states all across um, our country where these things have gone to the ballot. In Virginia, we don't just sort of have signature petition efforts that go to the ballot, but you can change our constitution and you have to go to the people ultimately to do that. Um, so they're proposing that the General Assembly pass this effort to put it to the people. Now, it's a complicated two-year process in Virginia. It would not end up on the ballot in Virginia until 2026 if we couldn't stop it, but we will do everything possible to block this constitutional amendment because it would prevent any kind of restrictions, whether we're talking 15 weeks or we're talking heartbeat or we're talking um, just basic information to women. So that's the kind of constitutional amendment we really have to block. And unfortunately in Virginia, constitutional amendments do not go to our governor. So they go through the legislature. There has to be another intervening election. So we, we would wait until 2025 We'd pray that we picked up our House of Delegates that would be up for re-election. We'd pray we'd get a conservator and block it. But if we didn't, it would go back to the legislature in 2026 and to the people in 20, the fall of 2026. So these are the scariest things that are sort of in front of the people because the governor can't veto it and because they are code, they're beyond the code. They're the Constitution of Virginia. That is super helpful. Both those technical avenues of, of enacting these radical policies are good for our, for our audience to know about, whether it's legislation or the constitutional amendment process, because Governor Youngkin can veto a lot of legislation, but the constitutional amendment process, as you mentioned, is different than that. And it sounds like because of the drawn out process that the next Virginia election will be even more important to, to defend. <laughs> yeah, we had hoped that we wouldn't have to, uh, you know, think that that was going to be the only way to stop this. But there is a reality that says they could get this through the legislature this year. And our best shot is to get a new House of Delegates in 2025 or else we're sort of experiencing what many states, Ohio and others, you know, had to do this this fall. And so and we'll also be, of course, trying to change the hearts and minds of people in Virginia as we go along. We have years to do that. We believe life is a winning issue. It's about how it's messaged. It's about how much money goes behind the message and the lies that they put forward. And so there's a, there's a lot on that. But um, I just think folks need to know that the beginning of what could be some of the most harmful things is 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 starting. That is very helpful. I mean, the, the, uh, the other team has the ball right now. It's time to play defense, but this can be a long, a long attritional war of defense. So we're thankful to you for giving us that, that, that big picture approach and the technical knowledge so they know what's coming. Um, and because Family Foundation is, is such is such a warrior on, on these issues, just tell us very briefly, how can social conservatives support the Family Foundation as they, as they play defense against these policies? Well, yeah, we're going to need folks to be calling their legislators nonstop. They need to hear from people. Sometimes we, we think, oh, they have the majorities and therefore we're not going to be able to make a difference. No, we can make a difference. We need to be in their ear. We need to have relationships with these legislators, even if we disagree about things. Um, and we need to present these reasonable ideas and help them understand that, that in many cases, this is where a majority of Virginians stand, even if we didn't win the election. And so people just have to be very vocal. We're going to have things like the March for Life, where people can come down to the Capitol and actually be a visual presence for these legislators. We're going to have a Mama Bear Lobby Day. That's our sort of parental rights time to gear up. We're going to work on school choice, which is very popular in the base of the Democrat Party. Um, so it's not just because you have Democrats in charge. 
Democrat people across Virginia want school choice. And so if we can come together, no matter what party we are, and put that message into these legislators, we're going to move the needle for education in Virginia. So there's so many ways that we can make a difference and, and work to put forward the ideals that we know will advance all Virginians and will help families flourish. That's terrific. And um, I could, couldn't agree more on both of those, especially the March for Life. I've been to the Virginia March for Life. It's a great event. And I would encourage all social conservatives to come and join that when it happens. So um, more on that to come. But Victoria, this election wasn't all bad. There were some wins. And I want to make sure we talk about those and encourage our audience with that. So the first one I want to talk about was a fairly big one, actually, for social conservatives. There was a, uh, a casino me measure on the ballot in the, in the Richmond area. And we won that. So I love it if you could just tell us about, you know, how we defeated that, how the how the grassroots campaign worked to defeat that, and why it should encourage our, our audience of social conservatives. This was such an exciting thing, even for people who maybe this isn't your top issue. I mean, of course, you know, for some of us, the unborn is sort of, you know, a central thing. But, you know, even if casinos aren't your biggest concern, this should be encouraging on all issues, primarily because. We were so outspent. So our, our side organized, the Family Foundation organized the opposition to this casino and spearheaded that campaign. And we were outspent. I mean, literally, the, the final numbers won't be in until later this month, early next month. But we were outspent. It, was, it looks like they spent 10 to $11 million minimum. Some people are saying it's upwards of 12. And we spent less than half a million dollars. And that just tells you that strategy is everything, messaging is everything, getting to the people. And I think ultimately we were able to con convince Richmonders, the city of Richmond folks, that this was going to be harmful to their community, that it was going to bring in with it crime, sex trafficking, and those type of things. And we were able to help them see the picture of that, that they were being bought. They were There was a, a casino industry trying to buy their vote. And when we can show the corruption and we can show that their vote isn't for sale, that they want to vote in a way that is healthy for the families around them. Um, and they did it. And it was it was fun because it was the second time this hit the ballot. We had to deal with this two years ago. And the first time we won by, I mean, literally about a percent vote. I mean, it was 50.5 to 49.5 or something like that. I mean, it was razor thin. And this time, and I, I told you the money difference, we won 62% of the vote said, we want no casino. We don't want to be a part of this. That is a blowout. Um, and I hope that it sent the industry packing, that they will never come back. They will never try to ask our people again for a casino. I hope that it was embarrassing to city leaders who should not have ignored the vote that we took two years ago. So it was a great win and we're thrilled. And we hope other cities are encouraged that they too can fight casinos. Um, whether you're in Virginia or you're somewhere across the, the, the entire nation, um, it can be beaten. And it's just, it's just about strategy and messaging and convincing people that this is unhealthy for their community. Amen, that is so encouraging. To know the people of Richmond said twice in greater margins, no to predatory gambling. This should be so encouraging to our audience and, and show that we can win on these issues where the other side thinks it's only a matter of time. So awesome. Thank you for telling us about that. I also want to ask about a particular race. So Family Policy Alliance has a summer program for social conservative legislators called the Statesman Academy. Um, we've had several, more than a few classes of this by now. And one of our alumni, uh, Mark Early, was able to win his race in this election. So Victoria, you know Mark. I wonder if you could tell us just um, tell us about his race quickly and remind us how did Mark buck this trend in an election that you know in a lot of ways wasn't good for social conservative candidates. 
We could not be happier that Mark Early is going to be in our House of Delegates. And this is a guy who, yes, went through your Statesman Academy, who actually has worked with the Family Foundation on our team in the past. I mean, this guy is ready to go to bat for social conservatives. And I'll tell you, I think the way he won is hard, hard work. He hit the pavement every single day for months and months and months and months meeting voters. Um, sometimes I think conservatives think our ideas are going to win, and we hope they do. But you have to actually build those relationships and put in the shoe leather. And he did that. And that was really exciting. He did stand for our issues. He didn't change who he was. He didn't have to doctor up some nuanced position. He is who he is. People saw him as authentic. Um, and he was able to win his district. Now, he he has run once before in a harder district, a district that was a little bit more liberal. So this is a little bit of a better position for him. But I just love the stick with itness that that he said, this is what God's calling me to, and I'm going to give it everything I have. And and he was fortunate enough to this time be able to do that and do it in a district that's a little bit more balanced. And we're going to be so excited. And I think we're going to see him as a champion on our issues. And we're grateful that he's been trained by the Statesman Academy because we know he's ready to go to bat. That's kind of you to say. I, I agree. I've met Mark at the Academy and in other contexts here in Virginia, and he's a good man. It, it should just be encouraging to all of us that a genuinely good person is one is can still be rewarded in the political realm for being authentic and working hard in the age of Instagram likes and parroting talking points. You know, someone like Mark can still win, and that should encourage our audience. So another encouraging thing for our audience was the Loudoun County was the epicenter of a lot of the parental rights groundswell that was behind the last gubernatorial election in 2019. We've seen that continue as those events have played out and ju the justice system has been, been in process. So there was a win there. And would you tell us about it to encourage our audience? Yes. Um, the simplest, cleanest way I can put it is if you all think back to those crazy school board videos that you've seen in the news and all those parental rights fights, when those big meetings were happening, Every single member that sat on that school board is no longer there. Now, that's a combination of forced to resign, chose not to rerun. And then in this election cycle, the last couple of them were taken out um, and replaced with better choices. And so it's amazing to kind of see that kind of turnaround. Now, Loudoun is still a tough place. This is not going to change the fact that we have new faces, faces we hope will be more transparent. It doesn't necessarily mean we have a majority of amazing conservatives that are going to stand for parental rights, but we, we get to see a new group of people. We get to say, look, we may disagree on a few things, but let's be honest with the public, because I think that is fundamentally why they were taken out of office was this idea that they were hiding things from the public, particularly the sexual assault that happened up there and some other things. So that's an incredible thing. But I got to take that to one more step. It wasn't just the school board that has got a fresh face and is going to be uh, a new opportunity for the people of Loudoun County. It was also that Loudoun County actually replaced their Commonwealth attorney. So that's our word for district attorney that most people call that their district attorney in whatever place you live in uh, around the country. We call them Commonwealth attorneys. But the prosecutor of Loudoun County had been, I mean, a Soros funded, everything that you can kind of put, put the profile of a prosecutor that is opposite everything we believe. And that is the prosecutor that was running for reelection in Loudoun County. Um, that person, I can give an example. If you remember that school board where a couple of people got arrested, one was the father of the child, uh, the child that was sexually assaulted. One was another guy named John Tiggis. Um, we, our law firm actually represented John Tiggis and this Commonwealth attorney, it was a trespassing thing ultimately that he got arrested on because he theoretically shouldn't have been in the school board because they kicked him out. Well, this Commonwealth attorney actually stepped in personally to handle that case. Now, Commonwealth attorneys don't handle trespassing, but that's because there was this aggressive 
reaction to parental rights. And, and this person wanted to make a name for herself. So um, that's the kind of stuff we dealt with in Loudoun County with this prosecutor. And they were also involved with, if you remember, there was sort of a doxing of parents, um, a list that went out of, we're going to go after these people's jobs. This prosecutor was involved with all of that. And so it's a huge win for the people of Loudoun County to say, see you later. We're starting over. We, we've put someone else in office. And I just, um, that I think symbolically, in addition to practically, um, is just such a, a lift for not just the people of Loudoun County, but all of Virginia has been watching this. And we've all been watching Loudoun County. And I would say the nation's been watching Loudoun County. And so if it can happen there, because it is still not the bastion of conservatism in that county that we want it to be. But I just want people to be encouraged that um, we can make a difference and we can go after folks that have you know, denied parental rights, have hid things from the public, have prosecuted ridiculousness or chosen not to prosecute crime, which also has happened in Loudoun County, where they've kind of given a pass to some things that shouldn't have been. So it was great. And what a statement from those parents that they will protect their kids and their rights in a place like that, too. So huge, I, I think. And you mentioned the school board there. So just last question on the specific wins that we saw. Tell us about what we what we saw in the shifts of school board makeups around the Commonwealth in this election. Oh, this was so exciting. I would say, I mean, it's not, a, you know, a, a perfect win across the board in every school board situation, but we really had some great conservatives elected to school boards, um, people we've been working with on, on trying to kind of get conservatives more engaged at, on the school board. A lot of parents kind of stepped up and said, I'm going to actually run for school board. So we had some great candidates um, and some school boards actually flipped to being a majority conservative. So um, a lot of places that most people around the country won't necessarily know. But I would say, you know, Powhatan, James City, um, or Yorktown, sorry, not James City, Yorktown. Um, all There's a bunch of places that were not conservative parental rights hubs where you couldn't necessarily get parental rights issues to the forefront or get them to win in the school boards, they will now be able to actually move forward. And in Virginia, we're still very much battling in every locality these issues around what are going to be the policies surrounding transgender students. Will they be allowed to play on sports teams if they're a biological male play on a, a female sports team? Will they be allowed in a private space like a locker room situation where uh, should be a place that a girl can expect bodily privacy? Are we going to force teachers to use pronouns? All of those things are very much at play in our school boards. And the fact that we picked up some school boards in a flip is going to allow those parents to move forward with great policies. So we couldn't be happier with some of the results. Um, now, there's places we still have to work on, um, you know, Henrico County, Spotsylvania. These are pretty big counties where they've been moving blue and we were very disappointed to see school boards not go in the right direction there. So it's not a perfect win across the board, um, but I would say this, it should be encouraging that if you're a parent somewhere across America and you're saying to yourself, I am tired of what's going on on my school board, I want better school board members, you know, you should be encouraged to really think about running yourself or finding that that perfect conservative that's going to stand for parental rights and have them run and really back them because it can be done. I think these races focused on these issues and parents responded. And that wasn't just conservative parents, common sense parents that maybe don't align with us on all issues do align with I want to know what's happening to my child in the school building. And every day you get more and more stories about that. And I think that people can really run on those issues and be elected on those issues. Amen. It's good to know that common sense can still win elections, right? <laughs> um, 
And I want to mention, since you encourage people to think about running for the school board, I also want people to know that Family Policy Alliance also has an academy uh, called our School Board Academy, which is for people who are interested in running for the school board or are already on the school board who want to be equipped to do a good job there uh, as a social conservative, as a Christian with biblical values. We want to show you how to be effective there um, for, for uh, on your school board. And the link to that academy is in the description here and will be in the comments. So please, by all means, go on there. I encourage you to apply and be a part of it. So because um, uh, Victoria, you and I often know that you know, usually it's the lowest levels of government that have the most impact in our lives, like the school board. So that is super encouraging. This has been a superb conversation and I'm so grateful to you for it, Victoria. I wanna ask you just one final quick question because given everything that's that, that we've talked about, the good and the bad, uh, now that our, our social conservatives are equipped to understand the results of the selection, what is your and family foundation's vision for the Commonwealth while we're on defense? And how specifically can our audience of social conservatives support you and sew into that vision? Yeah, I appreciate this question. Um, yes, we're going to be on defense at the state level in the General Assembly. But I want to remind folks, the offense is changing hearts and minds. And we do that every day. And that is a important to the vision. So, for example, um, literally, we will be training pastors this week at our pastor summit. And what are we doing? We're telling them why the church has to engage in education, why they have to care, why they have to help shepherd these young people that are caught in public schools being indoctrinated every day. We have to get the church to understand these things, understand the cultural battle and, and see themselves as people who can spread the light in the middle of this. And so there's so many things we can do that change hearts and minds that ultimately will bring more voters that agree with us to the polls, that will ultimately elect better uh, legislators, that ultimately will give us pro-family laws, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a series of events. It's not just we get to election day, we win, lose, and then we're offense or defense. There's so much that goes before that. We train young people every day um, through, especially through our summertime, it's called an equip academy. And it's basically a worldview academy for college students. Why? Because they're the next generation of voters. We got to care how they think. We got to help them understand how these issues from scripture, then move into the public policy space. And how do we consistently understand our worldview, apply it and share it with others? There's so much that has to be done. And I think the last piece of vision that I'll just share with folks about what the Family Foundation is doing in addition to the, the sort of tactical defense in the General Assembly is that we are also very aware when we talked about an abortion constitutional amendment coming down the pike and and whether we would ever have to face that at the ballot box in 2026, we're not going to wait until 2026 to do positive messaging on why the humanity of the unborn should be protected. We have entire plans around how to do sort of what they call drip marketing, campaigning, literally messages that go across Virginia that help move the needle on our side towards protecting human life. Sometimes there's just not enough positive messaging from our side saying, look, here's the beautiful images of, of unborn children. Here's how they feel pain. Here's why we want them to be part of our society. Here's how adoption works. There's so many positive messages that are important to be done, not just during election season, not just when a ballot initiative is all the way to the table and you're about to vote on something. It's really about how do we change hearts and minds as we go along? So a lot of the Family Foundation is tactical and short-term and in the moment and urgent related to bills, but a lot of it is what are we doing long-term to help Virginia understand these values, principles, vote on them, and then therefore get great pro-family um, policy as a result. 
Amen. What a great vision. I couldn't agree more. And just I want to tell our audience that Family Policy Alliances feels so fortunate and honored to get to partner with the Family Foundation and about 40 other state-specific ministries that do this kind of work in their particular state. You can find uh, you can find those, your specific states, at familypolicyalliance.com slash allies. But Victoria, we're such we're so proud to be a partner with you. Thank you for your time here this morning. I want to thank our audience as well for joining us. We pray that you come away from this feeling more equipped and more encouraged for the fight for social conservative values that is to come, not just here in Virginia, but around the country. Thank you for joining us. Have a great week. Brought to you by Family Policy Alliance. Our vision is a nation where God is honored, religious freedom flourishes, families thrive, and life is cherished.